Welcome to another episode of Apes Among Us. This installment is focused on the NAWAC's annual training camp held in Southeast Oklahoma. We haven't publicly spoken much about these training camps, so I wanted to give you a little bit of a primer about them before we dive into the full episode. There are two tiers of membership within the organization, investigator level and associate level. The investigator level is for those who have proven their skills, who have proven their trustworthiness, and their ability to act as a cohesive part of a much larger puzzle. Mainly, their ability to conduct themselves properly in a wild environment such as Area X. The associate level is for members who can't or choose not to contribute to our field level work. It's also for those who have just joined the group and hope to work their way up to the ranks of investigator. This year, we had an influx of new members, thanks in part to this podcast growing in popularity, and I think that Seth Breedlove's documentaries played a huge part in that as well. It was our most well-attended training camp to date. We had many people coming in that most of us already in the group had never met before. A major reason we hold these training camps every year is to undertake a vetting process. It's a chance for us to vet potential investigators, and at the same time, a chance for new members to vet us as well. We get to learn about their skills, their backgrounds, and what they could potentially offer to the organization. And at the same time, we get to teach and do our best to prepare them for their first time in Area X, should they make it that far. There's really no proper way to prepare somebody for the things that take place in Area X, and it's never a bad time for even the most saltiest of veterans to brush up on our own skills. So, the reasons we hold this annual training camp are many. We have to do our best to paint a picture for new members so they know what they're getting into, and everyone there, investigators and associates alike, needs to brush up on their skills as well. The weekend is filled with all kinds of great presentations, some of which you will hear shortly. There are presentations on wilderness survival techniques, hunting techniques, Paul Bowman Jr. gave a great presentation that shows us the possible lineage of the wood ape and how it may be linked to Gigantopithecus Blackie. It was a great event that people from all over the country attended. I drove down from Minnesota, which is a 12-hour drive for me. There were folks from Atlanta, from Texas, from Tennessee, and I think the total amount of people there was about 30 or so. So it's a big get-together, one that I feel is really important. It's important for all of us to prepare for these massive, months-long undertakings that we put together every summer. To spend six continuous months in such a wild place like Area X, it's essential to be ready for it. It's also essential for all of us investigators, and associates to all be on the same page. We are much stronger as a team than we are by ourselves. We all need to be on the same page to finally bring a wood ape out of the darkness of the valley and into the light of the world of discovery. Without everybody being on the same page, without all of us acting as a cohesive unit, a massive project like we put together every year just would not be possible. It would be impossible to do alone. With the right training and preparation, our chances of proving the wood ape as a real flesh and blood animal are that much stronger. I'm Brendan Lentz, and today we bring to you some of the highlights from our 2020 training camp. This is the official podcast of the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. This is Apes Among Us. Hello, everyone. 
everyone, and welcome to this episode of Apes Among Us. I'm Matt Pruitt. As Brandon mentioned in the opening, this episode will revolve around the North American Wood Ape Conservancy's 2020 training camp. In my opinion, the training camp was a great success. I personally had a blast being there. It was great to meet a lot of the new members who bring so much talent and expertise to the table, and it was also fantastic to see old friends and meet even some of the older members that I had not yet met. You'll be hearing interviews that were conducted live on site there at the training camp with some of the newer members, as well as interviews that we conducted afterwards, after a few days had passed and some of those newer members had time to process the training sessions, process the personal interactions that they had, and had a few days to think about it and collect their thoughts. Before we get into the interviews, you're going to hear a little bit of Daryl Collier's excellent trainee orientation presentation, which was the very first presentation given on the first day of the training camp. It's my hope that you'll hear these sessions and you'll hear these interviews and you'll get a little bit of insight into what this event was like and what we all learned from it. So thanks again for listening and enjoy the episode. We want to make it very clear to you from the beginning, we have high expectations. Um, We expect our members to live up to standards that we've set. This is one of my favorite quotes, and this is front and center of the NAWAC way. It's a great quote from Vince Lombardi. Gentlemen, we will chase perfection. We will chase it relentlessly. Knowing all the while we can never attain it, but along the way we shall catch excellence. This is what informs our expectations. Know this, you've gotten this far, you're already doing pretty well because about one in 10 of every person who applies actually get accepted. The rest cast out. They don't even get in the organization. 75% of those who become associate members don't last. They're going to quit. They'll get kicked out. They'll just kind of fade off in the distance. They'll lose interest. Life gets in the way, whatever. But it's a select few among you. History shows that only 25% of you are going to remain with the organization. This is what our history shows. Most of you won't stick around. We do not apologize for our house standards. We're very upfront about them. If you really want to be in the organization, you're going to rise up to meet those expectations. Um, as a member of the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, a nonprofit research group dedicated to the execution of its mission statement, I am prepared to volunteer my time, resources, and finances to that end as I am able. I will follow the lawful and ethical leadership of those who have been entrusted by the membership to lead the organization. Everybody understand that? Notice you're going to hear these words a lot. Ethical, judicious, professional. You're going to hear those a lot. I will trust in the NAWAC as an organization to pursue its mission in an ethical and professional manner. All of you who have military backgrounds will recognize where this gets its inspiration. And now a brief section of NAWAC Chairman Mike May's excellent presentation, The Essentials of Teamwork. Enjoy. Our goal is simple and and it's to, to get that type specimen. And, and that's what we're after, to prove the existence of these things. Now, what do we expect from you? Daryl touched on this. You're going to hear it again. You'll probably hear it again before we're done. Mm-hmm. We have very high expectations of you. Expectation number one, you're, you will assimilate into the NAWAC culture. This is what we have found to be effective, and, and that's just the way it is. And it's, it's the same way with any team that you, that you join. Terms like honor and integrity are not just words to us. We expect our members to conduct themselves in an exemplary manner at all times. All right, expectation number two. You will leave your ego at the door. We value the input and ideas of all members. 
from the newest associate to the saltiest of veterans, but we do not pull a lot of punches when it comes to stating opinions. Understand, there is nothing personal in any of them. You're not starting from ground zero, okay? 100 meter dash, we're putting you 50 yards ahead of where most beginners would start. We're trying to, to accelerate that learning curve with all this. It's a lot, you, you're gonna get just inundated with, with things, but we're trying to speed that process up for you. Expectation number three, you will not be a wallflower. You'll get yourself in the game, okay? Don't be the shy kid at the seventh grade dance, stands in the corner, you know, and hopes someone comes and asks him or her to dance, you know? You, you wanna be that guy. Don't wait for a special invitation to participate in group activities, operations, presentations, on and on. Take some initiative. This is a big one. It's vital for you to be dependable and trustworthy, especially when in the field. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. If you tell others you're gonna do something, then do it. You know, we, we operate extremely rugged and dangerous environments, and we need to be able to depend and trust one another in any and all of the situations, okay? Expectation number five, you will understand your role. You've got to know your limitations and your strength. What are you good at? Nobody's good at everything. It's just, just a fact. We're composed of a diverse group of people from all walks of life. This can create challenges as well as opportunities. Members must recognize and understand their own uniqueness as well as that of others and make allowances. Be honest in your assessment of your strengths and your weaknesses. The hardest person to tell the truth to is yourself. Now, final word of caution. Do not be more troubled than you were. Okay? So if you do that, you'll do fine. You'll, I think you'll love it. When I think back, it's one of the better choices in my whole life that I've ever made was to join this organization. So that's it. That's all I've got. It's, it's, it's... Okay, so I am sitting here with a brand new member of the organization, one that I just met today, and his name is Andrew Hickman. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me. So, you have not met anybody in the group before coming here today, is that correct? Uh, nobody. Uh, everyone's a new face here. So, did you have any trepidation before making the trip here? Uh, initially, there's that initial nervousness. But uh, it was more about going to a location uh, to do something that's kind of a dream of mine, uh, not necessarily meeting the people. The idea that, hey, I'm going to join up with a bunch of other people that uh, have similar ideals that I do uh, was pretty exciting. So how did you find the NAWAC? What brought you to us? Um, probably just online researching is uh, one thing that I've done. I've had an interest in this subject, um, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Wood Apes, uh, however you want to put it for a long time now. Um, just as a kid, uh, the interest has been there. I have, I kept track of you guys uh, for several years, not knowing that you guys had a podcast till about a year ago, uh, maybe a little more than that, and I just started listening to the podcast just listening to what you guys have been doing out in the field, the research, uh, the work you guys have put in, it really 
just spoke to me like I want to be a part of this um, and uh, I I applied you know so I got online and uh, and found you guys there and uh, now I'm here your story is really similar to mine in that I found the group through the Bigfoot show Brian Brown's podcast right and his episodes about Area X and when he would walk around during training camps like this with his microphone and just hearing the genuine stories from people, I thought that it was really compelling and I had the same thought. It's like, if there's any group out there that's genuine and serious about what they're doing, it's this one. Absolutely. Because, yeah, because these people, they just, they, they seem genuine. Yeah. There was, there was no, no lying that I could detect, um, no fabulism that I could detect. Right, no one's no one's telling stories of grandeur just to be, you know, no one's trying to get attention out here. Right. And that's that's what's great. Um like I said, I've I've I mean, I've followed you guys uh for the on the website at least for a couple years and then when I found out you guys had podcasts and I listened and listened and it just uh it just made sense like it that uh, you guys weren't out there just doing you know crazy experiments and stuff it just seemed like this makes sense this is legitimate research and uh yeah i was i was sold and uh yeah i'm here now so what are your first impressions of the group awesome awesome there's a uh, just kind of mismatch uh, of people here all, all from different backgrounds um uh, have a similar interest and it happens to be finding the truth about uh wood apes uh and uh it's uh this evening it's been fun listening to the stories um, there are always stories oh yeah it's, always stories it's great i could yeah. i could listen to them all night so uh it's exciting i'm excited to be here that's good that's good we're excited to have people that are excited to join Absolutely. us yeah I'm, I'm i'm glad you're here so what got you into the subject in the first place as far back as I can remember, I've had an interest in what I would call the, the unknown or the unexplained or paranormal even. Um, in elementary school, I was the kid that had a pass to the teacher section in the library to go check out the big, the, the books on Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster, or, uh, UFOs, Area 51. Anything uh, in the paranormal section. Right, anything yep. there that was up my alley. Cryptozoology was always something um, that I wanted to get in into. The problem I had was actually getting into a group, or you know, a group even responding to me, and then finding a group that felt the same way that I did about, you know, what could the wood apes be, or what what would they be, or what is Sasquatch? Um, let, let me stop you right there for a moment, yeah. if I could. So, what did you think? A Sasquatch was or is so as a kid I I had a lot of theories I mean you know the older you get you you think more subjectively um, you put more thought behind things I don't know when I decided that I feel like it's a flesh-and-blood creature that's just for uh, for whatever reason one reason or another has eluded mainstream science uh, has eluded uh, humans, you have a lot of anecdotal evidence, uh, but nothing that's really going to prove like, hey, this creature's out here. You know, no one's going to take a blurry photograph or uh, footprints, any kind of cast, and probably in this day and age, not even a blood sample is going to prove anything. I had an experience hunting with my cousins 
I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. We went out squirrel hunting out in the Arbuckle area. Um, we were hunting squirrels in a line, so probably 10 or 15 yards apart from each other. Uh, and we were, we drove along a, a, an old trail, trail road, got out. We walked probably 100 or 200 yards out from where our vehicle was. And uh, my youngest cousin at the time was in the middle of this three, three of us in a row. And uh, she stops. She's looking at something. We think she's she sees a squirrel, and she just turns around and starts running the other direction. And uh, we try yelling at her, trying to get her to stop. She just keeps running. Um, she runs all the way to the car. Uh, we catch up with her. She's locked all the doors. We show up. Um, she lets us in. And we get in. She's like, "Just go, just go." She doesn't want to talk about it. It was a while later before we were able to, to get it out of her. She said she saw uh, something um, pop its head behind a tree. Out from behind a tree, they met eye to eye, and they looked for 10, maybe 15 seconds at the most. Wow. And then it just popped its head back, and that's when she turned and ran. I never saw anything. Uh, I never heard anything. But, um, I mean, I was there, and I think that's probably fueled a lot of my interest. Yeah, you were there, and I imagine that you could see the genuine emotion oh, yeah. from a reaction of a person experiencing something incredible. Right, we like ran that. we we ran around out in that area as kids all the time. Uh, I spent my summers out there, uh, spring breaks out there. I mean, that's where you know we we were we lived out there. Uh, so it's uh, um, definitely something that stuck with me. And how long ago was that? Oh man, probably eighteen years now. Okay, so you've been thinking about this for yeah, a long yeah. Time. I mean, I, probably like a lot of people who have a similar interest, you 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 find TV shows, uh, documentaries. Um, thankfully, in this day and age, we have podcasts as well. So, um, just whatever I can find to try to learn more about it, or just um, see what other people say. You know uh, what uh, what their experiences are. Um, uh, I mean, I have an interest in it. Before I joined the the organization, the furthest that I ever got into actually researching the wood ape phenomenon on my own was just reading books and reading anecdotal evidence online and watching the <laughs> right. occasional horrible TV show, and that was it. And eventually it got to a point where it just wasn't enough for me anymore. Right. And I I had to get out there and put my own boots on the ground and find out for myself what exactly these stories are about what right. everybody from across the continent is apparently seeing apparently there's something to this so i found brian through the bigfoot show as i mentioned earlier and i came down here to oklahoma for the first time and that was five years ago now and <laughs> since then i've been down here probably a dozen times yeah and it has wildly and dramatically shaped my life in ways that I just never could have expected so you are stepping into something that could very well change yours I hope so that's that's why I'm here yeah you uh, you you had mentioned on our way into the car here that you felt that this was all very surreal oh yeah this is I mean, to go from, I've always been on the outside looking in. 
and I've always, well, I'm going to say always, for a very long time, I've had kind of a dream to be able to be a part of an organization like this. So to be in this car, uh, talking to you right now, um, for a podcast that I listen to, you know, I, I anticipate these episodes to drop that I'm interested in and to be here now, is just very surreal. That, that's really great for me to hear because one of the biggest reasons that we produce this podcast is not only to try to educate your average listener about the Wood 8 phenomenon, but also to get people to join the organization. Absolutely. To get yeah. like-minded people to join the organization. So to hear that it's working makes me really pleased. Yeah, Very totally worked for me. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So what kind of expectations do you have going forward as far as the group is concerned? Taking it, take it in as much as I can and, and learn and uh, do what I can to uh, be an asset here. So That's the right attitude to have. So we are here. It is Friday night now. We haven't actually started any of our training portions of the training camp. We haven't gone through any of our presentations. So what I'd like to do is actually circle back afterward, maybe on Sunday morning or so, and record again and see where your feelings are after that. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> So today is Saturday and we just went through our first round of presentations and now I am sitting here on a lunch break with a brand new member that none of us have met before. His name is Lawrence Burns. Lawrence, thanks for joining us. Ah, thank you. So as I mentioned, you hadn't met any of us before coming here for a training camp. Is that correct? That's it. That is correct. I haven't hadn't met anybody in person yet. So what were your expectations coming in? Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I, I followed the forum a lot, so I kind of got an idea of everybody's different personalities just by what they typed in on the forum and stuff. Uh, but it was very welcoming when I got here. Uh, I was one of the first people, I guess, to show up. Uh, Daryl was here, uh, a couple others. And I just figured I'll see what it looks like when I get there, and if it looks crazy, I'll leave. But no, it was very inviting and uh, felt almost right at home. Good. So we haven't been too crazy for her yet to oh. take off. Just crazy enough for me, but not too crazy. <laughs> Good. Um, what brought you to the NAWAC in the first place? Um, I've always had an interest in the subject. And then, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go back a few years ago, back when it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a Texas Bigfoot Research uh, Conservancy. It was center, and then it, it reverted to uh, Conservancy. Okay. Yes, I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, you know, Bigfoot in Texas? Like, I'd always heard about it in Washington State. Like, that's ridiculous. And so I got on their website and looked at the maps and stuff and realized, man, where I'm from in East Texas, there's a lot of been a lot of sightings. Uh, and that, that was back in 2010, 11-ish. And uh, I wanted that. I was like, man, that'd be cool. But I just didn't have the time. I was active duty military at the time, stationed in West Texas. I didn't have the time to get involved with anything like that. Uh, but been out of the military for a few years now. And then I'm not really sure what brought it up, but... I guess probably, I was probably bored late at night, and I was like, you know what? Let me see if that organization's still around. And got on Facebook, saw they had changed names, but I was like, man, I've got the time now. And I've always felt that, you know, there's something there that needs to be investigated, uh, regardless of you know what you believe or what you know. Uh, I listen to a lot of the recorded eyewitness encounters from several different sources and stuff, and it's just like 
people throughout history have been repeating almost the same things, uh, the same types of animal descriptions and behaviors. Um, and through my line, uh, through my line of work now, uh, picking up keys of deception when people are being, you know, just lying or not being truthful and whole. Uh, I'm not great at it, but I can pick up some of that. And some of those you listen to and you're like, okay, something's a little iffy there. But some of them you're like, that really sounds genuine. And I kind of started seeing these patterns and I was like, something's got to be investigated. You know, either there's an un undocumented species of ape in the U.S. or there is something else even crazier going on. Uh, that's yes, some sort of psychological mass yes. hallucination across the entire continent for hundreds of years. Yes, yeah, I know. And yeah. statistically speaking, I can't see that going on. I'm like, an und und uh, you know, eight to ten foot ape running around here is much more likely, to be honest with you, in, in my opinion. So I was like, you know what? It'll give me a chance to get back out in the woods. I'll meet some interesting people. Uh, and here I am. And you've met some very interesting people so far. Yes, I yeah. Uh, but highly impressed by the motivation and professionalism of all of them. So. So we've gone through a few presentations now today. We've went through Paul Bowman's presentation about the Gigantopithecus and how it may relate to the wood ape. We've gone through um, Wilderness Tracking by Matt Pruitt. We've gone through just sort of the ins and outs of the NAWAC and the inner mechanisms of how it works. Um, what's your impression so far? What do you think? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, the very first presentations, the transparency of the organization sets forward. And they're, right away, they're like, here's what we're about. Um, you know, this is what we want to do and this is how we want to do it. Uh, give you an idea of the structure so you know exactly what you're getting into. Um, and then the, the tracking, uh, that lesson was awesome. I've always been interested in it, but never been able, <laughs> I'm a horrible tracker. Uh, I can tell the difference between a dog and a cat sometimes, but now I've got at least a basis of like, Hey, now I can learn some other stuff and take what little I, like this basis I know out into the field and learn some other stuff. Uh, and the Gigantopithecus, uh, that still blows my mind that for years people have been seeing, you know, centuries people have been reporting this and now there's, you know, something in the fossil record that matches. Right. Uh, and then there's evidence to show, you know, and a great theory of, Hey, other animals made it across this land bridge. They could have too. Yeah, if you set aside your bias and start to look at all the steps throughout history that could lead to the wood ape being in North America and still existing today, it actually makes a lot of sense. It makes perfect sense. On the drive up here, actually, and when you look at a map, and on Google Maps or something, uh, you see the area, and you see the national forest, and it's big, but you don't get an idea of how big it is until you drive through it. This area could very well support something like that. Right, and you and I went on a, a long hike yesterday through the National Forest, and we did. you were able to see the habitat that these things live in, and you can see once you get out there, like, oh, they could easily hide from people oh, for this long. Absolutely, yeah, it's, you, and even now, uh, you know, January, uh, probably would be the most visible, I would guess, out of any time, but when everything's green and growing, you're not going to see 25, maybe 50 yards. Like, it's, yeah, something could easily hide. Uh, you think about how lowly low the population is around here and most people are going to stick to the trails mm -hmm. and the trails are far you know few and far between and one of the most common questions that we get is how come you haven't obtained visual evidence where are the pictures where are the videos and now that you've actually been here to see the environment that we have to work in do you sort of understand why we haven't been able to get that definitive footage absolutely yet? and uh, actually uh, photographer background i can ex i can 
to at least explain to myself perfectly why when you're talking about an area this large uh, and this dense and when you're talking about like from cameras, especially game cameras and stuff that have a wide field of view, anything that's too far away, you're not going to be able to tell what it is. So even in those pictures, it might only appear as a speck. So when you're reviewing them, it wouldn't stand out to even further investigate, you know, warrant further investigation. But if even if it did, you wouldn't be able to tell what it was anyways. And if you were to lay out a map of the whole area and then, you know, it would just be little tiny, almost microscopic pinpoints of every camera and what they could actually see on that map. I mean, it's got to be less than a percent of a percent right? It's, uh, of this whole area. So it's worth it's a worthwhile cause because you never know what you're going to catch. Uh, but it's, you know. Find a needle in a haystack, right? So it's a lightning in the bottle analogy. Yes, yes, it's. Uh, I mean, because I, I look at it from a photographer's point of view, and to see far off, you need a zoom lens, and then you're not going to capture as much area, though. So it's it's really like, man, yeah. There's been, you know, how many mountain lions have been caught on game cameras in East Texas? Only a couple, but they're there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's the same way up in Minnesota where I'm from. I've got cameras all over the place, and I've never caught a mountain lion, but people see mountain lions in Minnesota okay. all the time. Yeah, I've, I've never seen one in East Texas, but I've heard them, and I've seen their tracks. I know they're there. Uh, I'm not that good of a tracker, like I said before, but you can see a cat print. It's a huge. There's only one thing it could be. Even if you had a camera on you, always ready, the sightings all over the place, they're only two to three seconds long. That's not very much time to pull up your camera, zoom in, even if it's on autofocus, and get any kind of clear shot. And if it's moving at any rate of speed, under a dense canopy, it's going to be dark. You're not going to get good pictures. Right. It's just the math of it. So that's kind of why most of us here in the group have stopped really trying to obtain photographic evidence. I mean, we still have trail cams out in the valley, and we're still wearing GoPros occasionally, but it's sort of an act of folly to be carrying around a video camera 24 hours a day while you're out there trying to hunt these things in 100 degree weather you don't want to have a camera strapped to your head and having that drip sweat down into your eyes all day long absolutely it, it, it's it's a really tough endeavor it's a tough endeavor and I, I hope that people understand that yes and even from a photographer's point of view i can see where it, it would probably be easier to collect a specimen rather than get a great picture because even those like the sports and action cameras that you wear their field of view is so wide you know something would have to be just a few feet from you to really be able to tell what it is and so you'd have to get really close exactly and if you get that close you know uh the only advantage you know having like say a dslr camera with you is you don't have to worry about taking a shot and risking anything if you see something you can just point and if it's ready click away and you've not wasted anything. You're not risking anybody else's, you know, health or in injury. And then you can look at it later, and you can take as many shots as you want. But you still have to have it, and the conditions have to be right, and you have to be ready. Right. And we can get as many clear photos of a wood ape as we want okay. after we have that specimen. So that's that's the goal. Yeah. And photos will always be criticized, and people say, "Oh, that's been edited." Yeah. So, and there's very few ways to even give evidence that it hasn't. So what are your expectations for the group going forward now that you've had a little bit of an idea of what we're about? I'm really looking forward to getting, uh, being more active with the group, uh, getting out in the field as much as I can, uh, and just learning as much as I can. I have no doubt that with all the information that's being poured into me already, it's over time I'll learn a lot, not just about the subject, but 
about tracking about birds. Uh, I've already learned some really cool stuff uh, about fossils and other animal behaviors. Uh, I just want to learn everything. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, we we all say be a sponge when you come to these kinds of events, and yes. you kind of have to be, otherwise you're going to go home feeling worthless yes. and like you didn't learn a damn thing. Yes, yeah, so I definitely am going to go home satisfied. Good. I learned a lot. That's good. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today, Lawrence. Oh, no problem. Thank you. All right. This next segment is a roundtable discussion that was recorded live at the training camp involving Brandon Lentz and myself, as well as NAWAC Chairman Mike Mays, NAWAC Director Emeritus Alton Higgins, and the Field Training Manager Travis Lawrence. So we're right here in the midst of the 2020 training camp for the NAWAC. How do you think it's going so far, and how would you compare it to previous years? It's colder. <laughs> it's much colder. But yeah, we've, we have a big turnout. I think that's one of the major differences between previous years is we've, we've recruited a pretty good group of uh, new members, associates, and we've had a good turnout of them, 15 of them or 16, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, 15. Is it? Okay, it's a good, it's a good sized group. We have a lot of, we're about the same, actually about the same number of long time, I guess you could say, members. It's a good combination, you know, old timers and new, new folks. Great discussions. Has the group done training camps every year that there's been summer operations? I, so. I think we I have think since so. the summer operations. I couldn't say going back farther than that, I don't recall. But I, we've been very regular over at least the last five or six years. That's become an annual thing. We have a training camp every year, and we have a, a group retreat every year. We have other social functions, too, but as far as official, you know, real business, research-oriented events, the two of them. The retreat for more focused evaluation, I guess, and training camp for, you know, trying to get new members integrated into the culture. Yes, yeah, so there's been a lot of, I guess, stimulus out there in the in the public sphere that's generated this. So I know the podcast is at kind of an all-time high for downloads. There was the Low Files appearance, which ran on a &E, and then obviously Seth's documentary has had a huge reach, specifically to people who are already interested in seeking out, you know, Bigfoot or Sasquatch information. So that seems to be a consistent with the guys that we have this year. They've yes. all referenced the podcast. I, I've talked to a few of the newer recruits that have been here this weekend, and they have all referenced the podcast as a big reason why they are here now. That's right. We had a, it was kind of a fortunate several events kind of came together around the same time. Uh, uh, Seth's uh, documentary along with the the more regular appearance of the podcast. I think that was a that's been a big big thing. I mean, we would put them out; they were of high quality, but they were really for a while there they were really few and far between. Yeah. Every now and then, and uh, now that they're coming out on a, a more regular basis, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great turnout this year. Really high quality guys have have come out, and we're we're very pleased with that. Yeah, there's a lot of firsts, too. So it's your first year, Travis, as the field team's manager, correct? So you kind of helmed this entire, uh, like, the scheduling of this and the uh, the syllabus and itinerary? Yeah, I did that last year as well. And we had the training camp last year at my parents' house. But there wasn't, I don't I, there might have been one new member last year. I think there were, yeah, maybe, what, eight people total. Yeah, um, it, it was really just strategizing for the summer. It wasn't much of a training camp because... Wasn't many people to train out there at all, and uh, like we said, because of Seth's program, because of the podcasts that we're putting out regularly now, it's such good quality. 
uh, we've we've attracted all this attention over the last year. We got 15 new guys out here. It's been a great training camp. Can you explain exactly why we hold these every year, especially for people who have not experienced the things that we have in Area X? Yeah. In short, we're we're not a social club, and uh, we have a whole lot of field work going on, a whole lot of things that we do, and uh, those things, you know, they they take skills and talent and knowledge to be able to do well and to assimilate into our culture, like Mike was talking about. And so that's kind of the purpose of this weekend is to show them what all we do and how we do it and uh, how they can take part in doing those things. Yeah, we we make very clear too how serious we are about this endeavor. Mm-hmm. This is not. As Travis said, a social club. There, you know, certainly there are social aspects of it. Just but by going out, you, you bond with your teammates and, and your your fellow members, and and that's a great benefit of it. But that's not why we exist, and we, we make that very very clear. And we make it very clear that the mission is not just a thing; it is the only thing, and that we are very serious about it, and uh, we, we try to communicate that as clearly as we can to them and, and over so, and over, over and over <laughs> pound it into them. And, uh, we, cause they need to understand that if, if they're going to come in, uh, we don't want them to be taken aback by anything that might happen, you know, in the field. Um, and you know, another benefit of these camps, you know, you get to see them face to face, you know, we get, yeah. we get, uh, you know, these applications come in online and to the website and so on. And, and, you know, a lot of things look great on paper. And then, you know, when you meet them face to face, it's an added dimension. That I think it's very important. I think it's just as important for them, for the new trainees to come in mm-hmm. and meet us. And everybody can kind of judge, you know, hey, you know, is it, are we a good fit? And uh, I think that's critical, you know, and if, if, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes somebody's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be that serious. I, and it's better to find that out now than to find it out when you're out in the field together and, and depending on this person to to have your back in certain situations. So there, there's a lot of benefits to it, uh, but I definitely think that's a big part of it. We have a pretty new board. We've had uh, some new board members and the new board has been real intentional about going through all the applications that have come in, sorting through them, evaluating, discussing, making contacts, you know, interviewing people uh, that, that look like they might, you know, be uh, a good fit, you know, just on paper and by talking to them. But, but like you said, it is still important to have that time together. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's so impressive with this infusion of new membership the people that have passed that vetting process, obviously a lot of them have extremely relevant backgrounds that you can just tell would be super, uh, you know, highly beneficial to this group. And so it's hard not to spend that much time with that group of people, see the enthusiasm. You can tell that they're legitimately interested and they're asking great engaging questions. And it's, it's hard to walk away from that and not have like a renewed sense of optimism about what the next operation and what the future holds with this new infusion there. Oh, absolutely. I, and, you know, and it does us old salts good too, because they come in and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they're ready to go and they're all fired up and it kind of rekindles things for us too. Yeah, that's, that's true for me as well. I've talked to a couple of guys over the weekend and really they mirror my path to being where we are in this room right now. I remember me five years ago 
coming into a member retreat and meeting everybody for the first time. And I was so just overwhelmed with all of this amazing information and all these inspiring people all in the same room at the same time. I, I was really fired up as Mike put it for a long time. And now I get to see these guys coming in in the same position that I was at one point in time. And now I'm more excited for the summer because they're sort of infusing that enthusiasm in me again as well. I thought that a lot today as we were sitting in there and, uh, you know, Travis's talks and Mike's talk and Daryl's talks, I was thinking like, if I was new to this subject and I had not gone through, you know, like any, any social process of getting to know other people who pursued this, because for most of these guys, this is their first exposure to other people who pursue this. And I was just thinking to myself, like if I sat down in a room for the first time and the, the caliber of conversations and information being shared there, like my head would explode, you know, in the best, most positive way. Because that's an incredible amount of information delivered, you know, in a very authentic, sober, honest, you know, not hyperbolic way. It's got to be inspiring for those people. And yeah, to your point, it inspires me to, to, to see that through their eyes, I guess I would say. It definitely inspires me too as well. Uh, it kind of resonated with me, Brandon, whenever you said it kind of rekindles a fire in us. Because yesterday we went on like a, a four-mile hike with some of these new guys. And we're not really even in Area X. Like we're kind of close. But, uh, you know, there, there might be apes around here. And just to see how excited they were just to go on a little hike where there might be apes. You know, they were super stoked about it. It got me excited, you know. I knew nothing was going to happen, but they were they were super excited about it. Yeah, I guess it kind of like revivifies the organization as a yeah. whole when there's like new, uh, fresh enthusiasm that comes into it. Like you said, it kind of rekindles the flame of existing enthusiasms and it serves as a, almost kind of like a unification too, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. We talk about inspiring. Some of these guys came from a long ways away. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. And, um, you know, to see that kind of, of excitement on their part. And that, that really says something about already their level of commitment to drive just to come to, to the training camp as a, as a new applicant slash member, that tells us something about them too. Yeah, you know, they're serious. No, it's not required. I mean, it's required if you want to you know, advance in terms of your potential levels of involvement, but you know, we don't hold any right. No one gets to their head. You know? Yeah. No one gets booted out if they miss a, here's a, this a training camp, but here's this opportunity. And, you know, just the chatter on the forum beforehand about it, they, uh, how they just, it was so clear how excited they were about coming. And, you know, it's a lot uh, to ask people to rearrange their schedules and, and they've got families and they've got jobs and uh, all of us only have so many days off. And, and to, to take some of that time and commit it to the organization, you know, that says something about their level of dedication already and interest. And... I, I, what we really strive to do is we want to reward that by putting on a really quality training camp, disseminating really quality information. Uh, we want them to be able to go home and say, you know what, this was a good decision. This is, this is, this is where I need to be. And um, I, I remember that, you know, many, many years ago when I joined, uh, you know, it was just a, a monthly meeting that I attended. We were still doing the monthly meetings at that time. And and just, just those few hours, and then I think we all went out to eat or something after. But just those few hours with these guys, it, it was clear already that these are high-quality individuals. 
These are people of integrity. These are people of intelligence. And these are people who are very serious. And this is not some flighty bunch uh, who's, again, in it just for the social aspect. And that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be... We want. I wanted to be part of the solution to this whole thing, and you know I, that's what we're trying to to impart to them as well. We want them to leave with that same feeling. We want them to, to drive home, for them to almost be on kind of a wood eight cloud nine, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about this the whole time on the way home, the wheel spinning, and that's that's what we're hoping to do. Yeah, that's that was going to be my next question. Actually, is uh, for all three of you, what is it like, Travis, that you're hoping that people come away from tomorrow when you say, "Hey, what are you bringing home with you out of here?" Like, what is it that you you hope members come away with more than anything? I hope the you know the the fire that was already within them, the interest. I hope it was satiated just a little bit with this, but I hope it leaves them with a, a great desire for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like the first eight that you see. Is 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 you're kind of like well I'm glad I saw one but that 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 didn't make me as happy as I thought it would and I'm gonna go back and and, and learn more and I hope that uh, they they stay involved in the organization I hope they stay involved and uh, active on our forum and learn as much as they can and move up become investigators and, and become valuable productive members that uh, can go to Area X and help us to solve this whole thing yeah they they need to leave here just anxious for more. To Travis's point, too, I don't know how they couldn't because, you know, the questions that we've answered coming from what point of authority we can come from, which is authority of our own experiences, because, you know, we're that's the questions that we're typically being asked about. And so we can answer those kind of things authoritatively. You know, every one of those answers generates 10 new questions. And so that occurs exponentially. So I think as you're hearing at least what I've been hearing are fantastic questions from people that are, that show a lot of genuine interest. And I think that's again, growing more and more questions. So I would think they'd have to leave here even well, hungrier and, and, for information than they were before they arrived probably. Yeah. And not just questions. I mean, there've been a couple of suggestions from these brand new people we're that we, we kind of looked, some of the old guys kind of looked at each other and like, why haven't we done that? That's a, that's a great idea. That's okay. Yes, absolutely. You know, so, and that kind of goes back to what you said, this infusion of just, you know, new ideas and, and, and new thought processes. And uh, so, so it's, it's really been good this year. It, it's, it's by far the most that have come to a training camp that I recall. Yeah. It's not just a quantity thing. It's a, it's a very high quality uh, group this year as well. So we're, we're just pleased as we can be. I, I'd actually like to answer that question as well. I would hope that the majority of people that leave here tomorrow understand the gravity of the endeavor that they are taking part in. This is a very serious operation, and Jordan Horseman said it best last year during one of his presentations, how often do you get a chance to literally change the world? Mm -hmm. Well, and to elaborate on that, he went on to say, this for most of us is the most important thing that we'll ever be involved with as far on, on the world broad scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we can get this done, this changes everything and it'll be the most important thing that we, we've ever been part of. And there is a heaviness to that. There is a gravity to that. And we, we are trying to impart that as well. But it, it shouldn't be a, a daunting feeling. It should be sobering, but also exciting. I mean, there's not a lot of adventure left for regular guys in, in, in today's world. And uh, this is a chance to, 
to grab onto some of that, but but also be part of something that will be remembered forever um, if we can achieve our goals. So it's just a fantastic opportunity, I believe, for, for them. Uh, it, it To look at them as they listen to all this stuff, it reminds us, older guys, of why we came in the first place. And it's just a great thing for the organization as a whole. Absolutely agreed. This next collection of interviews were all conducted after the conclusion of the training camp, after a few days had passed. So you're going to hear a series of discussions between myself and Brandon Lentz with various new members of the NAWAC. Enjoy. I am joined tonight by my new friend, Andrew Hickman. You heard from Andrew in a segment previous to this where I spoke with him before we had started any of our presentations for the weekend at the NAWC training camp. And I had mentioned in the interview that I wanted to circle back directly after all of the presentations were completed to get Andrew's initial impressions. Andrew, thanks for giving this another shot. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, Brandon. Happy to be here, man. So what was your favorite part of the training camp weekend and what were your initial takeaways? Oh, man. Well, uh, all the pre- presentations were uh, were great, uh, super informative, uh, really interesting. Uh, just learning and uh, being around these group of guys that are, are dedicated and, and uh, just confident in, in what they're doing. It was great. I would have to say the, the near misses presentation that Daryl did was probably my favorite. It was it was pretty exciting and really eye opening to uh, how how close we've come to the uh, the task at hand. And for those not in the know, Daryl Collier, the producer of this show, put together a presentation called Near Misses, as Andrew had mentioned. And the presentation was based around how many incredibly close chances that the NAWAC has had in putting this mystery to rest and providing that type specimen that we so desire. And we've come incredibly close a handful of times. And Daryl put that presentation together to really show the new members that were at the training camp how seriously they should be taking this and just how close we've come to really changing natural history as we know it. Exactly. That whole little piece there is exactly why it was so interesting. Yeah, Daryl's presentation is really great. Paul Bowman put together a presentation on Gigantopithecus and how the wood ape may be of lineage from that species. We had a really great tracking presentation by Matt Pruitt. And the entire weekend was really incredibly informative and educational, even for the oldest and saltiest of investigators. I, I think it was a. I think it it served a great purpose. And I'd I'd agree with you. Uh, the presentation on uh, Gigantopithecus was uh, for, for Paul was uh, interesting as well. I mean that's that's an idea that um, I've thought of just in the in the past, uh, just from reading other things. And uh, you know, pro- it's probably an idea that's probably circulated within the the community as well. Uh, but the way it was presented and, the, you know, the scientific nature of it was uh, very well done. 
And then, uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, Matt Pruitt has the gift of gab. You could probably sit and listen to him to uh, present about just about anything. So, <laughs> And Matt Pruitt will definitely sit and talk at you for a long time about anything. And I would definitely be happy to sit there and listen because, as you said, he has that gift of gab. And yeah. the way he presents things is really unique in that he makes it sound also simple. Like he breaks things down in a very oh, yeah. and, and simple and uh, easy way to take all that information in. And I, I really appreciate that about him. Yeah, absolutely. We had mentioned in our previous interview that you are a brand new member of the group. And prior to the training camp weekend, you had never met any of us. So really, mm-hmm. you had no idea what to expect. Right. That was kind of my hesitance of of joining any group to begin with. This podcast, your podcast, the podcast that I'm on right now is uh, the main reason why I decided to go ahead and, and reach out and, and apply to join. Uh, I've had a huge interest in this topic or the subject for uh, a long, you know, as long as I can remember. But uh, listening to the podcast and, and going back through the, the, all the episodes that you've done and really getting an idea of how serious and professional and, uh, you know, it's not just a ragtag group of guys just going out into the woods randomly like there's a there's a plan of action uh, really, really drew me in. And uh, I'm glad this podcast is out there. Thanks. And I really love hearing that because I was in your shoes five years ago and I was listening to Brian Brown's old podcast, The Bigfoot Show. And just the way that he spoke about the subject with such honesty and integrity, that was what really drew me in and stuck me in. And I absolutely had to be a part of it. And since then, my life has changed dramatically, wildly. It's been shaped in ways that I could have never imagined prior to joining the group. I'd say you could uh, be pretty proud of yourself. I think you've followed that tradition along pretty well because uh, I've gotten nothing but uh, just professionalism and just seriousness from from the podcast and what you guys are trying to accomplish. Well, I appreciate that. So did we meet your expectations for the weekend? I would say uh, went far beyond my expectations. It's just a, a great group of guys and women that uh, have a a same common interest. They take this subject seriously. And there's the idea that there's a, a wood ape out there. There's a unrecognized creature that's that's running through the woods in Oklahoma. So again, I'm, I'm super excited to be part of the group. Right. And what was really interesting about that weekend is that we could look out the front door of the cabin that we we're in and we could just see the habitat that we know that these wood apes reside in. So it was literally right in front of our faces the entire time. Absolutely. And it's beautiful out there as well. But just looking out there and, and being a part of a group that knows that there's there's something more out there, it's it's just pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what are your expectations for the group going forward? And in addition to that, what do you hope to accomplish now that you are a member Yeah. uh, Expectations would be that organization continues to do what it's doing. And uh, what I want to accomplish is just be a value add. I want to be able to come in here. I want to help in any way that I can. If that means helping out somewhere in the field that's, you know, I'm for it. If I I just need to provide information or, you know, do some project somewhere else, I'll do that as well. I'm just excited to uh, to uh, get the ball rolling here. Yeah, I've said this in other interviews in this particular episode, and I've said this in the past, but I continue to preach it because I find it to be true. The more work and time that you 
put into this organization, the more you will get out of it. The more time you spend in Area X, the more you increase your chances of seeing a wood ape. The more time you put into hunting any quarry, really, the more you increase your chances. So really, it's important to carve time away to put your boots on the ground and just be there. I plan on that. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to, to be helpful where I can. I think it's kind of funny. My mindset coming into it may have been more of being able to experience something firsthand like that myself or being able to see one. I feel like that's actually kind of taken a back seat now. And my goal is to uh, to help the organization accomplish the goal that uh, we're trying to accomplish. So it's kind of funny how your mindset might change from just a simple thing like the training camp. So it was great. Well, I can tell you for certain that any of our members who are listening to this interview right now that just heard you say that are smiling a mile wide because we preach that to everyone, especially new members, is that you should not join this group if you are just in it to see a wood ape for yourself. Like I said, it's it's still pretty surreal to me, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to help out. Great. I'll see you soon. All right. See you, Brandon. Our next guest is a new member of the NAWAC, hailing from Texas. His name is Scott. Scott, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell the listeners what you've been up to. Hey, Matt. I'm Scott Wittemeyer. Recently retired. Actually, I retired from the Dallas Police Department in 2017. I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started reading different books and uh, happened to pick up a book by Ivan Sanderson called Abominable Snowman started reading that book and that's really what piqued my interest, which caused me to buy several more books off of Amazon. That's kind of what, what got me started in all this. Then I went on a search to try to find people that were already interested in this topic. As you know, this just varied. There's so many different groups out there, but I really coming from my background, I really wanted to look for an organ, a professional organization. So I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what led me to the NAWAC. I found you guys online. Nobody told me about you. You know, I filled out the app on the on the web page and, and sent it in. So I'm excited. I was excited to the, get invited up to the training camp, and which we just got done spending. All right, I spent about four days up there. And so I've had time to think about that and process a little bit. And so here we are. Certainly. Well, it was great meeting you at the training camp. And I was very curious now that you have had a few days to think about that and to process the events, you know, what kind of impression it might've left on you? Well, I was, I was very, very impressed with, with the group being a former police officer. I always got my radar up and looking for red flags. Like I said, I just, I went up to that thing blind, not knowing anybody. I didn't know anybody in the group got there and was greeted very warmly and and just realized that this is a very diverse group of guys that everybody's professional everybody's got different skill sets it was just a very interesting experience to hear everybody's stories and what they look forward to what they're going to bring to the teams and and so forth I definitely remember the first group event that I attended to you know I had a little bit of trepidation cuz I understood that all those members, the majority of them knew each other for a long time, you know, some of them over a decade. 
So it can be a little daunting to be the new guy, but I, I couldn't have been more surprised and uh, overjoyed really about how welcoming everybody was. So I hope that was kind of manifested in this particular event, which it certainly seemed to be. Oh, absolutely. I, I think everybody gelled as a group, um, new guys, old guys, just, just everybody there just really impressed with, with everything that was said and how it was conducted and how everybody pitched in and how we got it all done this past weekend. Well, you know, a lot of our members do come from a military background, a law enforcement background, an educational background, academic backgrounds, et cetera. So I think a lot of that informs the nature of these events and the scheduling and the planning and the the presentations and the way that it's regimented. Uh, and so I wondered with your law enforcement background, if, if that seemed apparent or if there were some things that resonated from that kind of background in terms of standards, protocols, practices, et cetera. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. It really was no different than any of the other law enforcement classes I've attended throughout the country, whether it be federal, state, or or our own DPD classes. You know, everything was concise. Everything had an outline. Everything was on time. Um, all the instructors knew their topics. There wasn't a lot of downtime and thumb twiddling around. It was just really good. It was really for the amount of information that we had over this past weekend, it was just spot on, spot on, really good job. Daryl had pointed out that the object isn't always necessarily to have everyone retain everything as much as it is to kind of introduce a host of ideas that should be doors to be opened and things to be familiarized with. So I guess there is a bit of a introduction component and then maybe a homework component to some degree, but hopefully it at least paints a picture of, you know, the kind of things that we're, we have been doing in the field are attempting to do in the field and all of those necessary skill sets that are related to that. Exactly, exactly. That's, I remember, of course, it was cold both nights. I'm in my tent Saturday night. It must have been two or three in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I just kept thinking about all this information and, and trying to process it and trying to think, what can I bring to this group? What can I, what can I share with these guys that they don't already know? And that's, <laughs> that kept me up most of the night just tossing and turning and thinking. A lot of my experience that I enjoyed during my time as a police officer was training, was training small teams, four or five man teams. Of course, we weren't going after wood apes. We were going after suspects. But a lot of the team movement, the communication, I think I think we can transfer that over. I think we can we we can use some of that to benefit benefit the NAWAC. I definitely think that's applicable. You know, I do completely understand that perspective, but I think everyone has something to bring to it. If you're familiar with the old uh, analogy or metaphor of the, you know, the blind men trying to describe an elephant. Have you heard that one before? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very much like that. I mean, all of us, you know, because there is so much about this species and this animal that's unknown. And so we're all getting little bits of you know, small glimpses and insights into their behavior and their ecology. And so everyone perceives that differently. Everyone brings a different perspective. And so people can see that from different angles and everybody's opinion on that or uh, the ideas that they might generate about how to address that are all different and are all valid. That's one of the things that I try to point out to people is every once in a while, you know, a criticism is leveled of, oh, you guys have been doing that for all these years and you haven't gotten a specimen yet. Do you think it'll ever happen? And it's you know, the, the truth is that there's not a legacy of great wood ape hunters to learn from. You know, if you if you learn to hunt bear or or elk or some other, you know, large animal like that, obviously we can learn from 
all of the successful hunters that have come before us who have, you know, the millennia of trial and error that's passed down to this point where we don't have any of that with these animals. So any and all ideas are welcome because there is no right or wrong answer at this point. Right. Exactly right. I agree 100 percent. Now, since you've returned home, has it prompted you at all to look into ape sightings or reports around the area where you live? Because I know, you know, there's many viable areas in Texas and a lot of Texas does have a long history. One of the current members, um, Bobcat, he lives, shoot, he probably lives 25 minutes from my house. And he was telling me over the weekend of things that locally that have happened here that I was totally oblivious to, which brought my curiosity. I mean, I live out in the country, you know, I've got hundreds of acres all around me, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's brought up, a, a curiosity in me and, uh, in the what I can find around here locally. So now that we've gone through those classes and hopefully raised a bit of interest, what do you think is uh, next for you? What's the next steps? Would you like to uh, participate in the summer operation? Yes, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to get on a team and see it firsthand, see area X firsthand, because you guys have so much knowledge because you've been there numerous times. So there's things that are in your memory banks that you may not verbalize to us, not purposely, but just unconsciously. It's you like, well, everybody knows that that creek runs here and that's a super steep bridge over there. So that'll be very interesting to get on site and and process all this information and, and deal with it there. I'm I'm really excited about doing that. We're definitely excited about having you, and I'm personally very glad that I got to meet you at the training camp and look forward to seeing you again as well. I know the group is happy to have someone of your background, somebody with that you know, strong law enforcement experience, strong credibility, et cetera, joining this group. Well, I look forward to it, and I sure do appreciate you guys inviting me up, and I'm glad I went to the training camp and proud to be a member of the NAWAC at this point. Well, we're proud to have you, Scott. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Our next guest is one of the newest members of the NAWAC, and I'm talking to him right now from his home in Western Kentucky. So, Vince, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I grew up in southeast Tennessee in the Chattanooga area between uh, Cumberland Plateau and Appalachian Mountain Chain in a small town. Liked uh, being out in the woods, liked to hunt, liked to fish, liked to uh, adventure, climbing mountains and just exploring nature. Professionally, I've been working most of my professional career in construction, 40 plus years as an engineer, estimator, project manager in sales and business development work. Moved all over the country from Tennessee to Alabama to Kansas to North Carolina to Georgia to Missouri, Virginia, and now I live in western Kentucky. Some of my other interests uh, over the last 20 years has been cycling. I was a competitive cyclist. Love uh, getting out on my bike and riding out in the woods on my mountain bike and riding on the roads out in the country on my road bike. Now, did that passion for the outdoors lead to an interest in the subject or was there a singular event that kind of kicked off that interest or, or, you know, what was it that caused you to start pursuing information related to these animals? Well, it's, it's kind of twofold. I've never had a shortage of curiosity. I've always had a great interest in 
you know, the unknown, how things work. You know, I heard stories growing up about Bigfoot, and there was also, there was a couple of local reports in the small town that I grew up about a, a Bigfoot sighting in the area that was of great interest to the locals for, for quite a few months. I've always had, you know, those kind of things in my head, thinking about the possibilities of the animal being real. Um, so that's kind of what what got my thinking started. And then five, maybe six years ago, did my, my own research on the internet, reading different books about the subject. Uh, one of the first books I read uh, was Dr. Jeff Meldrum's When Sasquatch Meets Science, I think that's the name of it. That got my interest up even more, just learning more about the subject and, and, and getting the information from a, from a scientific point of view and some more credible information about the subject. So it, it just increased my interest that much more as I read more and more about it. Do you remember how you ended up finding the NAWAC or, or you know, what you might have stumbled upon first, whether that was the podcast or the website or, or one of the television or documentary appearances? Yeah, well, I think it was the website. And I think I'd been on the website maybe a couple of years ago and just, you know, I, I was probably just surfing around on the Internet, you know, looking for Bigfoot stuff, and I might have stumbled on it and just kept going and didn't really look at it that much. Otherwise, I think I would have stayed there for a while. But I didn't really uh, go back to it. I, I guess I stumbled on it again maybe six or eight months ago, and I started reading some of the information there, and I saw how uh, how much uh, credible evidence that they were obtaining and reading some of the articles that were on there, all of a sudden it, it uh, appeared to me that this is a serious research group and they're really serious about what they're doing and they're trying to do it from a scientific point of view. And there's no, I mean, they're a, a 5013C nonprofit organization, so they're not in it for the money. Next thing you know, I, I see the uh, Wachita Project monograph and I started reading into some of that, and I was really interested in that. So I thought, I'll just go ahead and download it, print it out, put it in a binder, and, and read the whole thing. You know, it's like 200-and-something pages. And so I did that, and was I blown away? I mean, it was just phenomenal. The compelling information of data that's there is just unbelievable. And it really you know, took me from maybe a skeptic, and being maybe 70, 75% in belief that these creatures are real to probably 90% just just that quick. And then I also read about the uh, radio tag that, uh, you know, the article on the, on the website, and blown away again with the information that come out of that, that, that an animal uh, could tag itself with a string trap, with a radio tag on a string trap, and the group was able to track it for dozens of miles over almost a year. And it's just amazing, the information that came out of that. So, yeah, all of those things really got my interest in the NAWAC, and I reached out to you on an email and uh, got a response, which surprised me. (laughs) 
And uh, we had uh, several conversations back and forth, and you encouraged me to look into membership. And so the next thing you know, I'm, I'm on the website, filled out the application for membership, and, uh, and now I'm a member. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of the group and looking forward to a lot of uh, learning experiences. Well, you definitely joined just in time to be able to attend the group's annual training camp, which is, you know, for new members as well as for investigators or seasoned members. So I was really interested to see what you thought about that particular event, the information that was uh, disseminated there. And, and now that you've had a few days to process it, kind of what your thoughts are about that whole thing. Oh, I thought it was just fantastic. Um, the whole experience was amazing. Uh, the camp you know, the content, you know, the presentations, all of the subjects that were covered, you know, relative to the wood ape subject were just spot on and very rich with with a lot of good information. I, I just can't say enough about how well done it was all put together and and the presentations and how how much content there was with each and every presentation. Uh, everything, you know, from uh, how to keep a proper field journal by Alton Higgins. The presentation that you did, Matt, on tracking and sign cutting was was amazing. Paul Bowman Jr. did the Gigantopithecus uh, presentation, and that was just phenomenal. I mean, I could go on and on, but it was all good stuff. And I, I learned a lot uh, during that two days. And And I guess the biggest thing is just the time that we were able to spend just sitting around uh, the campfire talking about all these experiences that what we call the old salts of the group were able to share with us. And it's just amazing some of the experiences. And uh, I feel truly privileged and blessed to be a part of this organization. And I look forward to the future of being a part of this group and hope I can contribute in some way as well. Absolutely. And I know we're very privileged to have you. And yeah, that's interesting that you brought up because uh, I've, I've gotten this sense from some of the other members that one of the biggest takeaways was just hearing those firsthand testimonies and accounts of experiences that had happened down there. And so would you say that's one of the things that had stuck in your mind all these days after the camp has ended that's been, you know, kind of repeating itself? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can read the 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 monograph and read all the different experiences and documented journals of everything that happened, but just hearing it firsthand from the individuals and, and seeing the, you know, the sincerity on their face and, and just hearing it in their voice. And you just know that it's, it's not hoaxed. It's not made up. This is real experiences that really happened to real people. And it, it's much better understood and absorbed when it comes straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I totally agree with that. There's an element of camaraderie that occurs that I think is really crucial to just accomplishing the mission overall in that, you know, you, you find some people and you connect with initially and especially, you know, the group is large. There are a lot of members, so it's difficult to get to meet and know every single one of them. So what I found, we talked about it a bit there, but I call it the uh, the daisy chain of trust where, uh, you know, I meet a certain individual or two and I learn to you know really trust them and trust their intuitions. And then I understand, well, these people also trust these other members that I haven't met yet. 
which, you know, by proxy, then I can place my trust in and I can, uh, you know, trust that those people are being honest and forthright with me and that we, you know, have each other's back, so to speak, in terms of safety while we're in the field there. So I find that events like that promote kind of a lot of loyalty among the membership to each other personally and individually, as well as to the group as a whole. So I wondered if that made an impression on you, just the general camaraderie and the, the feeling that exists of trust between all these members. Oh, absolutely. Um, you get a real sense of the sincerity and the honesty and integrity just from everything that we, you know, we we learned during the, the training sessions and during the one-on-one -on -one conversations and the group conversations. They all help uh, your level of confidence in in each individual. And, and so it's yeah, it's very helpful to have that. And like you said, the, the camaraderie of, of being in a group like that, in a group setting, and it's, it's a relaxed setting. You know, it's in a cabin out in the country, out in the woods, and so everyone's at ease, and, and it's, it's, really, it's really helpful to, to experience that. Absolutely. Well, I think you integrated into that quite well, and it makes me very optimistic about this next summer operation and the future of the group as a whole. So I greatly appreciate you participating in that, and I know that the listeners appreciate you participating in this particular interview in this episode as well. It's always my pleasure, Matt. Thanks. <laughs> Our next guest is another new member of the NAWAC named Thomas. Thomas hails from the southeastern U.S., much like myself, and is currently employed in an IT-related role with the government. So, Thomas, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background and your interest in the outdoors? I'm ex-military, 22 years as an infantry and an aviation officer. I completed my career as a military and rolled it over to work for the government. As you mentioned, I'm, uh, I'm currently working in a segment of the government that involves uh, cybersecurity. My love of the outdoors, it probably comes, you know, just growing up as a boy, you know. So I wouldn't say that I became interested in this organization uh, from that. I mean, um, I think it, as I shared in our training event, I had an experience I couldn't explain when I was uh, in the military in an airborne ranger battalion there in Fort Lewis, Washington. For the listeners, do you mind sharing a little bit about what happened there at Fort Lewis? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, so I'm a young private, 18 years old, uh, and I'm in a ranger battalion, and we're doing what rangers do, just uh, practicing patrolling. And I'm part of an 11, 11-person 11 patrol, a squad that's out doing uh, practice. Uh, and uh, we normally would go out for a week and uh, spend all week in the, uh, on the military reservation there. Yeah, at Port Louis, Washington State. And this is the late 70s, so maybe the the rules uh, uh, were not quite so safety-oriented back then. And so the, our staff sergeant would take the squad out, and we would patrol all week long, come in on Saturday, clean up on Sunday, and go back out again on Monday. So it was a regular thing. Anyway, so one of the uh, weeks we were out uh, patrolling, uh, we were doing patrol-based activities where at nighttime we would uh, – a little man squad would set out an, an observation post and we would uh, go into low train and uh, set up patrol base activity and basically sleep for the night, 50% uh, security. So this one particular night and the OP 
came crawling back in uh, and reported that there was a, a patrol. Or they use the term enemy, enemy patrol, but you know we were practicing, so I couldn't really. There was no enemy. We were just practicing. But they said an enemy patrol was coming up the the route of march uh, in in the dark, and and so the squad leaders' like immediate reaction to that was to pull the all ten of us into a boot-to-boot formation and woke up the people that were asleep and pulled everybody in boot-to-boot and pulled out live ammunition and passed it out to each one of us. We each had a single magazine of what I assume was a 30-round mag of uh, live ammo, ball, ball ammo. And uh, all he told us was uh, that if it, came, if it comes through the patrol base, we're going to kill it. Um, he didn't explain what it was, but the same time he was explaining this, it sounded like a patrol in the dark, like two in the morning, following the ridge line up above us, passed by, like it was just following our route of march down the ridge line in the dark. And it stopped and turned around and came back and then uh, kind of spread out and, and slowly started coming down the, the ridge line, down towards our position. Uh, and they were four or five individuals were whistling to each other like what I thought were jungle birds. Um, so I'm a private, and I don't really know what's going on. I just know that I took off my blanket after loaded live ammo, and I'm supposed to kill it if it comes through. And, and so these, uh, these individuals basically slowly creeped down, whistling, and stopped outside of visual range. We had night vision in the old 1970s, uh, Generation 1 night vision. And it stopped, like, we couldn't see who they were, but they stopped maybe uh, 20, 25 meters out, away from our little hiding position and and then uh, stopped whistling and moved back up to the ridge line and continued down the ridge as if you know, they just continued whatever they were doing. And so I know that we didn't have that capability, uh, and that story stuck with me as I was 18 years old. I'm 60 now. So this is kind of my opportunity to try to go back and find out what it was that was able to to track our, our existence on that, you know, in the dark on that ridge line in the middle of Washington State nowhere. This is part of my quest to, for answers to that. Do you recall how long after that event it was before the realization came that this might have been related to what other people see or encounter that they call Bigfoot or Sasquatch? Well, the range battalion in the late 70s, uh, Sasquatch was kind of a like a joke you know, because you know, they spoke about it like it was a real thing. You know, and I'm from Texas originally, so my first duty assignment in the ranger battalion, uh, you know, I had no knowledge of what Sasquatch was, but somebody had, I mean, we had our own, uh, rangers had their own ranges uh, for uh, qualification and weapons uh, practice. And so the pop-up targets on these automated rangers were like a slumped over, like legend of Boggy Creek kind of Bigfoot. So we shot on our ranges at these, these Bigfoot looking targets. So this is like a common thing, but, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about it other than Bigfoot in that area was was something. And uh, something that struck me as a private was that when this enemy patrol left us, the squad leader took up the ammo. We got back to, to garrison and he never talked about it. Nobody 
talked about it. When I asked him you know, what that was, he, he said it was probably a bear and moved on like, like nothing happened. And there's no way it was a, <laughs> no way it was a bear. I mean, it was walking, uh, you know, it's like an enemy patrol. It identified our position and then backed away once it confirmed where we were, what we were. Uh, it was just really weird. And I was a private, so mine is after I really asked questions and we continued on. Never happened again. But, uh, you know, I was stuck with this experience, this military experience. That, Well, having had some experience shooting at Bigfoot-shaped targets, I think you're the, you're the perfect man for this group and this job, for sure. I wanted to ask, too, I know that you had found the group as a result of Seth Breedlove's documentary there and had, had reached out and you and I spoke and then you had, you had applied for membership and it had occurred in time to attend the group's uh, training camp. So uh, one of the things I'm interested in hearing would be your perspective on that training camp, especially having come from a military background and being accustomed to a host of different training events and confronted with a great deal of information and procedure and protocol, et cetera. What struck me, you know, as a ex-military was was the organization of your effort to have a, a very organized method uh, for approaching what they were kind of do. Thankfully, uh, you guys, uh, uh, you know, granted at least uh, the, the first step, which was to go go to the training now, which you had set up, I guess, earlier. I came away uh, again. This is a I've never joined, uh, you know, an organization such as this. I was looking for exactly that, an organization that had an organized scientific method, and that's exactly what I came away with. Top to bottom, uh, every one of the training sessions uh, kind of peeled back the onion a little bit more as to uh, how the organization would go about performing the mission that it's uh, ultimately trying to do, which uh, is specimen collection. But it went beyond that it went uh you know into the other scientific methods that the organization uh, uses and will use you know to gather evidence uh the dna and the non-dna studies that the organization is doing this was, was exactly what i was looking for is the organized scientific approach but there, there's actually more to that i mean it wasn't just the organized scientific approach that appealed to me at the training session it was every investigator that that shared their experiences uh, or shared their knowledge of, of the topic seemed to be open-minded, open to input. In other words, they were open to new ideas, to be willing to evolve the organization beyond what it is right now. Certainly. I greatly appreciate that insight, too, because that is something we strive for. I mean, I mentioned this in another interview with another member, but you know, we we don't have the fortune of having a long history or a legacy of successful wood ape hunters before us to learn from because this is entirely new and uncharted territory. So it is uh, kind of nebulous in some ways. And we're slowly learning what things seem to be repeatable or applicable. But absolutely, I mean, we definitely need to be constantly updating and evolving. And I think the infusion of members like yourself with such relevant backgrounds and such uh, relevant insights can only help that. It leaves me feeling very, very optimistic about the coming operation and the future of the organization as well. Right. And there's one more thing that I, that struck me is that each one of the investigators that you had uh, you know, teaching us what you knew or what you had experienced about the Wood Ape, uh, every one of them had a very deep level of commitment. They were all committed. And you could tell that they not only invested their time and money and effort, you know, 
on their own to to uh, further the organization. But uh, you know, they just were all fully invested in the mission, which uh, kind of set a standard for all of us associates to try to you know rise to. I'm definitely glad you said that because I do feel like there's a lot of heart that goes into this that. Uh, it's somewhat contagious when you get around that group of people and you see just how uh, deep that commitment is and how strong the passion to solve this mystery is. And so it is kind of infectious and contagious. And, and it, it that, I think, not only uh, helps inspire people like myself, but I think seeing that same enthusiasm in new members revivifies the group in a lot of ways. And it renews the flame in a lot of the older members too who have been at it for so long so i'm very glad to hear you say that the organization did a great job there were there were law enforcement officers more ex-military and there were scientists uh so as a as a group of associate members trying to learn about the the organization and the wood ape i mean you had done a really good job of recruiting uh, a a depth of talent that uh, i think is really going to add to the organization Well, thank you, Thomas, again for joining us. I greatly appreciate it. Once again, it was great to finally meet you, and I'm very optimistic about seeing you again and getting out in the field with you soon. It was my pleasure, and I can't wait. The following interview is with a brand new member of the group who came to us a little over a month ago. He happens to be a conservation officer. Because he works in such a public setting and has a very public profile, he wishes to remain anonymous. He would also like to express that the views and opinions that he speaks about in the following segment do not necessarily reflect those of his employer. Tonight I am joined by a brand new member of the organization who wishes to remain anonymous because he is a conservation officer for a state that will remain unknown at this point in time. So all I will say is thank you very much for joining me in this interview tonight. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. The training camp took place about two weeks ago now. You and I had a conversation there and you spent about 48 hours with the group and got to sit through a lot of really entertaining presentations, a lot of educational presentations, and really it was a chance for both the organization and for you to sort of vet and meet each other. Now that you've had some time to process everything that you learned that weekend, what are your impressions? Well, there were several pretty big takeaways um, for me, Brandon. Um, What I got to see was the long-term commitment um, and focus of this organization. Um, this organization's been together for the better part of two decades, or at least a decade and a half now, and out in the field working away year after year. There's no sense of, man, we're just throwing in the towel on this. And, and the reason for that is quite obvious. You don't have a group of people that are out there just walking around in the woods, hoping that they may come upon a wood ape or Sasquatch. You have people um, who have uh, committed themselves to this research uh, because they know that these creatures exist and um, have looked at evidence uh, throughout history, but also the evidence and data that's been collected through the years of the work of the NAWC. That was one big takeaway for me, and I've been following the organization for several years now since uh, at least 2011, maybe a little bit before then. And 
and I have just from afar just enjoyed watching the development and the work and the fruit of this work that's happening and now more focused in X in southeastern Oklahoma. And so uh, just really appreciated that, you know, being there with a lot of different people from various backgrounds. You have physicians and business professionals, law enforcement officers, teachers, ex-military, you know, nurses, first responders, professors, and, uh, you know, people who are professionals from various scientific backgrounds. And all of these folks coming together and investing time and money and energy working together as a team to just continue in the pursuit of the goals of this organization and, and the primary mission of this organization using scientific methods. So just the teamwork and the energy that was there was really awesome. I, I, I love being a part of that. And I, and I walked in, you know, not really knowing what to expect. Um, you have your, uh, you know, typical picture of Bigfoot hunters in your mind and, and some of those folks can be pretty wacky and, uh, kind of have some really far out goofy ideas. Um, and, and so walking into that environment during the training weekend, I, I was just met with a great sense of hospitality and people who are just real comfortable with the uh, topic at hand. I came into an interest in this at a very early age. And, you know, I was born in the early 70s and, you know, raised in the 70s and was able to read books. And uh, there was at a time in our history where there was just a lot coming out in the media about Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And so that got my interest early on. But then later on in life, I had a couple of experiences and one in, in Colorado. Both of them were in Colorado, but, but one in particular that uh, it was so profound. And there's no other way for me to um attribute that experience to any other form of wildlife that's uh, you know, indigenous to the Rocky Mountains where I was at. And so all of that to say, just following this through the years, the topic of Sasquatch, Bigfoot, wood apes, I just found it incredibly fascinating and jaw-dropping, um, you know, just the the reality of the existence of these apes that this organization has come to. I mean, it, it's just not like shooting in the dark. There's incredible scientific research, documentation, and pursuit of this target species by this organization. And um, some of the things that I learned and heard over the weekend just really kind of blew my mind. So that was awesome. Okay, I have two follow-up questions to your response, and perhaps they are connected. You had mentioned that you have been following the organization since 2011, and you didn't actually apply for membership until 2019. And you had also mentioned that you had an experience in Colorado that was profound. And I would like for you to follow up on that as well. And I'm wondering if maybe those two questions are connected in any sort of way. I don't know that those two are directly connected. What I can say is just, you know, I see these little connecting points along the way that led me to finally apply and, and step in with NAWAC. My experience in Colorado, and, and there were actually a couple of them, but I, I, I know I don't have time to go through, but one, one of them back in 1991, early June of 1991 in the uh, Rocky Mountains of Colorado, I was uh, working as a backcountry guide, backpacking and uh, mountain climbing and uh, I had a uh, 
a partner with me on that trip. We had a group of individuals from a, uh, a college out of state. And we were um, on this trip, and it was, it was our first night out in the backcountry. We had uh, packed in about 30 miles, not not very far, but we were already, you know, from, from our starting point, we were already in pretty secluded. And so we were woken up in the early hours of the following morning, and it was just real abrupt. I, I remember just my eyes kind of coming open, like, what what's going on? And I had a, an Alaskan Malamute at that time, and he was growling and me and my partner uh were in the tent and we we're trying to figure out what was going on get oriented um and we were camped along the edge of a meadow and about 100 150 yards across was another tree line and from that tree line we just heard this incredible roar um i referred to it as a scream roar and it was like nothing I've ever heard just a volume and uh it, it was it was really intimidating i've been in the back country a lot. I spent a lot of time in the woods in, in Colorado and mountains up there. And so I've heard mountain lions. Uh, I know what um, bears sound like, foxes, um, elk, and there were no birds there, any owls or anything like that that could have made a, a sound like this. And it was just incredible. Um, and after it made that sound, we just were like, what, what is that? You know, and, and neither one of us wanted to shine a light or do anything else to kind of poke our heads out and go figure out what that was. And it never happened again. But I had no real reference point. That was, you know, right before kind of the Internet got going. So I really didn't have a reference point for what in the world that was. We just knew what it wasn't. And uh, and then down the road, as the Internet brought about the, you know, availability of a lot of large amount of information, uh, at some point I was googling or looked up you know sasquatch bigfoot and there were recordings of sounds purportedly made by these creatures and more and more i was hearing things on there that wow that i I think that's what that was because there was absolutely no other explanation for it and um and then fast forward to actually earlier this year uh, soundscape x was one of the podcast episodes and in that episode there was a recording of a roar in x and uh alton higgins had also found a recording of a of a gorilla's roar and both of those things almost sounded identical to what uh we heard that morning uh in those pre-dawn hours in colorado and it just that that was a big connecting point for me actually that wasn't what got me into the organization. I, I've been very interested in, in AWAC for a good while. And uh, after hearing that, there's been too much stuff for me that, that I just, I know that these creatures exist and I want to be a part of uh, the work in helping bring this to light in any way I can. So, so you heard the sound in Colorado in 1991 and we recorded a vocalization that was almost identical in Oklahoma in 2018, 25 years apart, thousands of miles removed. That to me is very compelling, and I imagine it is for you as well. Absolutely. There was no other explanation for what we heard and the way we heard. I mean, it just the, the volume and the tone of it and the just incredible magnitude of it all um, was overwhelming at that point and left us just wondering what in the world. But then to hear that, it was like, wow, that's that's awesome. <laughs> just a little bit of a confirmation and, and a relief, if you will. 
And what happens, too, when you start to get involved with the NAWAC and you start to go to Area X and you start to experience some of these vocalizations and hear some of the wood ape activity for yourself, some questions get answers, such as, what the hell made that noise in Colorado? But then that just opens a door to one million other new questions. And you just have to get those answered and it just continues on and on and on and on. And that's why I continue to do the work for the group because there are so many questions that are left unanswered. The weekend, the training weekend, just brought a lot more questions to me and just an excitement about being, not only being a part of the group, but just being um, boots on the ground and getting to work with uh, just a, an incredible team of uh, individuals who are very different in their backgrounds, but like-minded in terms of the goal and the mission of this organization. So. We had mentioned at the onset of this interview that you are a conservation officer. And if you wouldn't mind, I have a couple of questions for you in your line of work and as it relates to the subject of the wood ape. First question, there has been a lot of internal debate within our group and a lot of debate on the internet as well about the legalities of taking a specimen of a wood ape, which is what our primary goal is in order to prove its existence. And I am wondering, as a conservation officer, how do you view the subject of taking a specimen in the context of enforcing the laws of a game warden? First of all, there are currently zero laws in the books in any state, barring, I think, maybe one little county up in Washington or Oregon somewhere. Um, that uh, put together some law about this, but but otherwise, no federal or state laws protecting the North American wood ape, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, however you want to coin this animal. There no, there's no legal protection um, for something that is truly, by scientific and government standards, unrecognized. It's an unrecognized, unacknowledged species at this point. So there are no laws protecting it, and so there's no. No law to enforce around hunting um, or or looking for this species specifically. What I would say, and and I think this is uh, very true for our organization, um, there's the need to abide by all other laws that would be related to such an act. And so, if you're hunting for anything, you you ought to have a hunting license, uh, a legal hunting license for the state that uh, you're hunting any kind of uh, wildlife in, whether it's a protected, I mean, a game, whether it's a game species or an exotic species or uh, or an unprotected species of any kind. Um, so I think that would be a starting point. And then, uh, you know, there, there are things outside of that that are really no-brainers, I guess, um, in terms of firearm safety and, and knowing... <laughs> We're talking about something that uh, is walking upright, that's bipedal, and so uh, and legitimate fear among law enforcement who have any kind of awareness about people doing this is that someone's going to go out there and mistake a uh, a person for a wood ape and, and shoot and kill somebody else, you know, and and that that would absolutely be. Um, a legitimate uh, concern and is, and I think it's something that our organization takes very seriously, uh, you know, as we go out there, a lot of things that are in place to prevent that, you know. 
And while you were attending the training camp, I'm sure that you were able to see the importance that our group places on safety. It is absolutely the number one most important rule overall, especially when it comes to doing field work in Area X. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the group in terms of we, we have not only ex-military law enforcement, but just sharp individuals, uh, people who at the end of the day, they want to go home and want everybody in this group to go home to their families. And so that was actually a really pleasant surprise to me that so much thought has gone into how do we not only accomplish our goals, but first and foremost, protect the safety and well-being of all of us as a team and individuals. And and so the group is just incredibly squared away around around this issue. We take a lot of pride in safety in our organization and for a conservation officer such as yourself to come in and see how much pride we place and how much um, emphasis that we place on safety to come in and say that we're doing a good job of it. I'm sure that a lot of people, especially those within our organization that will listen to this, will be very happy to hear. Like I said, it was an incredibly pleasant surprise for me. There are just way too many people hunting anything out in the woods who just don't practice, don't know, and don't practice any any common sense around firearms. And unfortunately, there are a lot of accidents um, in our country throughout the world because of that. Um, and so I think taking those precautionary preventative measures um, to the utmost level to protect everyone involved is paramount and, and this group has done it. So, Okay, so I have another question in relation to your line of work. Let's say that somebody calls you and says that they have seen a Bigfoot on their property and they wish for a conservation officer or a member of the DNR to come to their property and investigate. I'm curious, how seriously do you take those calls and what happens with that information after your investigation is completed? All right, so how I personally would take that call and how that call would be taken in general might differ a little bit. Because of my understanding of the subject and taking it very seriously, I would be more than happy to respond to that call and, uh, and, and take those reports seriously until, you know, whatever information is there would, would point to a reason not to take it seriously, whether it be a hoax or misidentification of uh, wildlife or anything like that. But I have never had that call specifically in my area. I have, uh, there, there is, uh, one report, um, from my area um, that's that's actually logged in a in a database, and there are a few counties around me where there have been some reports, but but I have not re- had to respond to a report like that. But if I did, I would go and uh, take it seriously. Um, it's not something that I would uh, call my superiors up and say, "Hey, uh, guess what?" Because I think in general this topic is so quickly and easily dismissed as something silly a hoax and and so it's not fully investigated by officers such as myself out in the field they're going to quickly resort to hey that was probably a misidentification of wildlife you probably saw a bear even a cow or a hog in the bushes and just you know lots of things make different noises and so on and so forth and and i think in our culture you know that we have a, a culture where uh 
you have this socially and culturally constructed phenomenon of Bigfoot. And it's just this silly, you know, you got Jack Links and Harry and the Hendersons and, and things like that. And people who have legitimately gone to great lengths to hoax the public, um, to hoax investigators. And so you have all of those, those things combined where the public just really dismisses it. But, but Bigfoot's, you know, this warm, fuzzy guy that we put on t-shirts and, um, blankets and and we like to make jokes about it and and you see that in the media whenever there's any kind of report whether it's serious or hoax in the media it's always typically just passed off as this funny thing and um there's some legitimacy to someone who has not really looked into this really prioritized and taken the time to look at the evidence that's there that's been collected you know prior to even the the name of bigfoot coming onto the scene from Native American cultures to early settlers and all kinds of information that's consistent with uh, what we would look at. These are legitimate reports today. All these things are consistent across the board. But if you don't take the time to look at that, then there's no reason why you wouldn't just kind of go along with the rest of the culture and look at this like, man, this this is just something that our culture thinks is cool and is, uh, you know, constructed on our own and more in more recent history. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So what you're saying is there isn't a secret Bigfoot drawer deep within the offices of the DNR where all of the information gets hidden away? Well, if there is, I would love to go through that drawer. (laughs) (laughs) I would too. I would too. So going forward, what are your expectations of the group? I look to learn from the group because this group has a wealth of knowledge and, and that was very evident to me um, over the training weekend and uh, just talking with individuals throughout the weekend and, and even since you just see um, how professional, um, scientifically minded, organized, cutting edge. I mean, the group is just, it's got this synergistic quality to it that it's just not hit a plateau where people, and, and it hasn't ever seemed to hit that where people just kind of ride along and this is just what we do year after year. There's a constant reevaluation of what we did last year and a, and a, a consideration of how we're going to do things differently or what we need to do the same, but re, but, but emphasize that more, right? And, and so the group coming together and making sure that we're staying on track and that the goals and objectives really are taking us toward the ultimate mission that we have. And ultimately that would be the conservation of this animal. Getting to that point um, requires quite a few things to happen. And so I just see the, the group just collectively working well together and using technology and uh, brilliant minds to uh, accomplish this. Um, I see the methodology uh, informed by all of that, and it's just really refreshing. I, th- I think one other thing about this group that stands out to me is it's very team-oriented and goal-driven versus you You look at other groups out there, and, and I, sometimes there's a certain personality or a single-minded perspective that drives that that particular group, and things can really get off track when you're being driven as a group by one person, by a personality, or by single-minded, rigid perspective. And, and so there's an openness there, a flexibility amongst the group, and just a, an ability to uh, collaborate that I think 
has held this group together for a long time, and I think we'll you know take it far into the future. I think that's a perfect spot to wrap up. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. You bet. Well, folks, that is it. That is our show for this month. If you'd like to find out more information about the organization, you can find us at our website at woodape.org. You can also find us on Facebook at North American Wood Ape Conservancy. If you enjoy this show, please let us know. You can rate and review our podcast wherever you receive them from. We love hearing from you, and we also love knowing that our audience continues to grow with every episode that we put out. Our episode next month will be based around our previous year's summer operation, which is titled Operation Variance. We've got some very interesting stories to share and some incredibly interesting data to share as well. So please stay tuned for that.